0: What's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Happy October! I'm Jamie Dodd. I'm joined by my co host, Canucks Insider Thomas Strance, who also covers the team at the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at d-l-e-a-m-c.com We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, a lot has happened since our last show on Friday, Drancer. Had a game in there, and, uh, and then basically, almost, like we are perilously close to the Canucks having their opening night
1: roster set after mass cuts on Sunday following the Oilers game on Saturday yeah and some notables right I mean if you told a Canucks fan on the air in mid-July that Vasily Podkolzin Akito Hirose Mm -hmm. and Atu Ratu would not make it to the second week of preseason I think people would have been upset with you mm-hmm. they would have said you are being negative but that's in fact how it's how it's come to pass uh, Rick talk it with some sort of parting words suggesting that Akito Hirose's fitness it, it was an issue for the team now whether or not that means the shape that he actually reported in or that he didn't put on as much weight as mm-hmm. the club was hoping for you know that explains in retrospect to uh, the fact that he only uh, the fact that he got all three games in Penticton which in retrospect was a bad sign yeah right like and and not that we didn't comment on it at the time, but it's you know in retrospect, if Akito Horose had been earmarked for a real look at the NHL level, he would have been scratched in that game. He was not, and 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 so we've come here, and I, that's fine. I I think it's fine for Akito Horose to go down. Oh yeah, and play a huge minutes burden in the American League. Right, this is a guy with like I I would love to see the same thing for Cole McWard. Mm. Right. Uh, But Cole McWard still practicing on the top pair as the Canucks hit the ice just now out at UBC. Um, The Pod Colson thing, look, we've been over it. Guy's a bit of a thinker. Uh, I think think he was in his own head. Uh, I suspect the club did him no favors, putting him a little far up the lineup. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the yips kicked in, and he did nothing. Like, when he was noticeable, it was for the wrong reasons. Yes. Throughout training camp and the preseason. Like, it was just a non-entity stretch for him. And that's a problem, because at this time of year... You know, like, I went to Seattle and I came back talking about Wright and Evans and um, Cartier. And it's like, good, you know, you should be watching these games. And the guys who have real skin in the game, your young guys, fighting to make an Something impression. To prove. Should be the guys who yeah. pop. Like, those should be the best players on the ice. And this sort of circles back to the McWard thing, which I think is going to be an interesting one. You know, I don't quite understand, based on what I've seen from his on-ice performances, why he has been able to lap the pack, right? Uh, granted, Juleson hasn't, like, played that well in mm-hmm. his two preseason games. Um, you know, I think willannon has been j- bumpy. Jet Wu, you know, looked good at training camp, had one bad preseason game, done, right? That was it. We, mm-hmm. we never saw him again. Um, so, but I, I, there must be something in terms of McWard having, like, hit targets, right? Something that he did in terms of how he reported Something behind the scenes. I mean, I think it's also just the fact that nobody else has,
0: like, like I think it's all, he's almost there by default. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think, it's, I think it says
1: more about the rest of the field than it does about his performance, but, but that, necessarily. That's troubling, right? Because, like, sure. you want your young guys to pop in these preseason environments. I've watched all these games. I've watched a lot of these practices. And I am still waiting for McWhor to make an impression on me or period, that would be commensurate with the fact that he's poised to open the season taking line rushes with Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. Like, I really am struggling with it. Yeah,
0: and it it feels, and then we talked about this a little bit last week, right? Like, see what shakes out on waivers, see if there's a trade to be had, but it does feel like a pretty clear area where they're going to try, or could try at least, to improve the roster or add another uh, body before the beginning of camp. And, you know, I mean, some of the notables sent down were we thought could be potential uh, competitors for the last couple of blue line spots. I mean, I think it's notable. Matt Irwin was,
1: uh, was sent down and we thought he would be pole Uh, position for the seventh defenseman. I think Ian Gord stared him right out of the league. Mm. Like he death stared him right out of the league after knocking him in the ice or after, sorry. Yeah. After Irwin hit Gord and fell down, Gord stared him down and now he's gone. Yeah. And it's, you know, the really striking thing to me
0: is we were kind of projecting how things might play out, Uh, On Friday and we were looking ahead to the Saturday game, but also the two upcoming preseason games and especially that one in Abbotsford. And we thought, you know, I think I thought more guys would hang around to try to get a last crack at it. But really, when you look at the lineup that was out there on Saturday against the Oilers, like that's might easily be the opening night lineup. And what's striking to me is no one really even got that last shot to impress. Like it feels like these, and I'm not saying no. that's a bad thing necessarily because Rick Tockets had a lot of time already to evaluate. It he, was decisive, but yeah, it's the thing. It was just, it was very striking to me that it wasn't like, okay, Hey, you've been just, dis- you've disappointed so far, but here's your shot. Go out and do something. It seems like the coaching staff had already seen pretty much everything they needed to see
1: up and down the lineup. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And you know, I, I, Look, they've talked a lot about standards and, and on and on. And to some extent, those words can be wind if they're not put in action. But I mm-hmm. do think, like, with McWard, I do think part of it must be how he came in. And this matches some of what I'm hearing internally. Like, I think he came in and just smashed his fitness goals. Mm. And that gave him a leg up. And then when Juleson and Wu really struggled against Calgary, that opened the door. And then when he played well against Edmonton, that kept opening the door. And now we're where we're at. Right? And And that's... That's fine. Like, this this is a four-week job interview process. Now, not for everybody, right? JT Miller's not in here. No, no. You know, that he he's done that over the course of a, what, 700-game NHL career. But there were a couple of open jobs. Like, there were a couple of open jobs here. Um, You know, there was at least one top six wing job available to somebody. There were definitely two bottom six wing jobs available, in, uh, you know, to somebody. Mm-hmm. And there was one spot in the opening night lineup on defense. We all thought it was third pair left D, but you know McWard. Like that process didn't start in Victoria for McWard. It started, started when he reported. Summer. Yeah, he started when he reported. Yeah, well, and I mean, it started with the
0: work he put in in the summer, right? And I mean, how many times did Rick Tockett talk about guys needing to have a big summer? And I feel like that was a lot of it. Like he, I think Rick Tockett probably learned a lot about where guys were going to land in the pecking order based on their fitness, based on how they came into camp. And he hasn't been necessarily shy about highlighting that when it hasn't been satisfactory uh, for some players. Thinking about Dakota Joshua there, Akita Hirose, as you mentioned, right? And I think there's an element there of, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, right? We emphasized, hey, have a big summer. There's certain expectations about how you're going to come in. And it didn't take very long for the consequences of either meeting or not meeting that standard Uh, to become apparent here. Uh, We should touch quickly. Um, There's some other interesting things happening in the lineup uh, as the team skated out at UBC today, and we'll probably hear from Rick Talkett after that. We'll play that audio at some point in the game. We should talk a little bit about uh, the 5-2 win on Saturday. And, you know, as much as preseason results do not matter at all, it was probably just good for the team to kind of get out of the doldrums a little bit, especially offensively, Mm. and to see the 5, a crooked number up there, uh, on the scoreboard at the end of the night I mean my big takeaway if we're just talking about you know evaluating players and this is a guy certainly who's spot in the lineup could not be in any less doubt uh, Quinn Hughes looked phenomenal I thought clearly the best player on the ice and I think uh, uh, they brought it up on the broadcast as well but you know already a really good skater looked quicker looked a little bit more explosive I would say to my eye and yeah, it was it was it was a different I'm, game as we've gotten accustomed to. It was a different game every time he was on the ice. Yeah,
1: uh, that that we're accustomed to. I'm not I'm not going with he looks more explosive yet because I need to see an environment where everyone's Try. skating at full tilt. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, um, just like Rick talk at the 10 or 20 mile per hour shot volume added to a shot. Right? It's like we'll see. Right? Like, yeah. I I like that he's looking for his shot more aggressively. And and I've certainly liked the results in terms of sneaking down or leading the rush. Like, I want to see as much of that from Quinn Hughes mm-hmm. as possible. The point blast thing, though, and, and I know he said he's not looking for point blasts. And that is going to be a sort of interesting dynamic here, right? I've been saying for a long time that if Quinn Hughes could add a shot, that would help. And mm-hmm. for me, it's never been about Quinn Hughes scoring goals. It's been about Quinn Hughes being enough of a shooting threat that he can manipulate that extra half second, right? That extra time, that extra space that being a shooting threat lends you. Um, But I also think one of his superpowers is the fact that he is disciplined about filtering shots or, like, filtering the puck into higher danger areas I think than the
0: points. Quinn Hughes might have, like, the greatest intuitive sense of where the high danger areas on the ice are of, yeah. like, any player in the league, almost. Like, he is so relentless about either skating it
1: into da- the dangerous area or feeding it into the dangerous area almost every time he has the puck. And he's so gifted at, p- at playmaking from that left point, right? Or when he skates down, does a mm-hmm. little dipsy, and then he'll, he'll hit a guy, like, the, the button hook, and he'll hit a guy in the slot. It's unbelievable, or at least the high slot. So – I'm I'm really fascinated to see how this develops, especially because, you know, what do they say about the great players? They're always working on their games. And one thing that I've been talking about a lot, we talked about a lot this summer and in the lead up to training camp was like, how do you get more out of Pedersen and Hughes? Like, how can they even be better Mm -hmm. given how durable they were last season, given the dizzying heights they hit? They were, yeah. yeah. And, and, And both in terms of their underlying profile. Like, it's really hard to get better than hey, that guy might be the sixth, fifth or sixth best centerman in on the planet. Mm-hmm. That guy is clearly one of the ten best defensemen on the planet. It's weird that the Eastern hockey media don't <laughs> accept that. Um, it's hard to get better than exceptional, right? And yet, if Quinn Hughes has come in with a new found sort of thirst for shooting and additional velocity on that shot, and Pettersson has come in winning draws – I mean, that's a good look on them. Yeah. Like, like more than anything, I don't know how it'll play out. I think we need to wait to see the the Hughes thing in particular could be a double edged sword. The Pedersen thing, you know, we could see his per- face off percentage spike in the neutral zone, and it might be empty calorie statistical improvement, right? Like, I, I need to see more before I'm fully buying. But certainly, the signs that they've identified weaknesses in their games and worked to improve at them are, are very much present. This offseason, and that's fabulous. That's exactly what you want from two guys like that. And
0: I will say with Hughes, you know, you look at the two goals he scored on Saturday, and they were both from – they weren't from the point, right? Landon, no. So I think the big thing for him – I think it's totally fine for him to look at it and say, I want to improve my shooting and I want to score more goals. But the way it's going to happen is not him bombing away from the point. Although he it's,
1: almost scored two bombing away from the point but in it, I the
0: think previous th- game. Realistically, the way it's going to happen is him getting into getting closer to the net, right? And I think he has the skating and the awareness and the IQ and all of that to pick his spots and realize when, okay, I can jump up and make this a two-on-one or I can carry this puck deep into the zone and I can get into a dangerous shooting area. If he does more of that... I, I think it becomes much less of a double-edged sword because then you're just having a really good player getting shots from dangerous areas, and I have no problem with that. If it's just letting it fly from the point indiscriminately, that becomes an issue, but yeah. I think he's... I think he's savvy enough to understand like
1: where are goals scored in the NHL they're scored from really close to the net
0: typically. So if you want to score more goals even if you're a defenseman, that's probably where you got to be.
1: Far be it from either of us to quibble with Quinn Hughes' understanding of how to generate <laughs> offense in the NHL, right? I mean, yep. you got to have a you got to have a level of trust in how the best players assess shot value, uh, which is why the the shoot yellers are the most annoying fans. Oh man. Shoot yellers? Shoot yellers or glass bangers? Oh, shoot yellers is not close. Not close. You hate the shoot yellers more.
0: I remember once I went to, I think it was like an Ottawa 67s game. And it was just like, I, I just. Guys, it's like on the power play, and guys, there's a pass and it's a little out of like inaccurate, so they have to take it on their backhand. And people are like, "Shoot!" It's like he's on his backhand at the blue line. Why would he shoot it right now? It drive drove me nuts. So the Ottawa sixty seven crowd specifically will always stick out in my mind, well, especially <laughs> Just relentlessly yelling "shoot" for especially no reason because
1: it's like it's really really silly to yell it at NHL players who are elite hockey players, but yeah. to yell it at sixteen year olds is so silly. Because it's not just silly; it's also like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" Yeah, like get some perspective, bud. <laughs> it's in that vein. Hey, um, I thought we could do one of my favorite types of exercises. Or, or would you be into that potentially? Sure. Could I? Could I interest you in some tears? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was thinking we could go through the players' cut, okay, and sort them based on how likely we think they are to reemerge. Okay. And, and not to reemerge as, like, game players. That can be, like, one tier. But to be, like, fixtures on this team. That's the... This season. Okay. Short-term fixtures. Yeah. So who could end up playing, like, 30 games? This is one basically. of those things that if I told you about it 25 minutes ago, you would have been prepped with a list. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. But, but it's better radio to just figure it out. <laughs> so is there anyone you'd ride for of the many players cut as being a guy you think will be on this team day in, day out by the end of the year. So, is it weird that my gut
0: instinct is Sheldon Dries?
1: No, I think that's a sad Because...
0: First of all, he did it last year, right? And if you're talking about an injury crops up or anything like that, right? Hey, you need a little center help. You need someone who can slide up into your power play. Maybe someone who can slide up a little higher up the lineup on the wing and give you some offensive boost. He's a veteran. You're not worried about harming his development in any way. Like, if we're just going by past history and where they are in their careers...
1: I think it's not a sexy answer. <laughs> it's not an exciting answer necessarily, but it's probably Sheldon Drys. We know he's efficient on one special teams unit. We yeah. know he can play center. We know he's tough pound for pound, even though he is short of stature, right? Mm-hmm. And and he scored 10 goals in the league. So I like that as a as a standalone. As much as he didn't get it's a, a real you look. Know like
0: it, it never really felt like he was in the running to no, make the roster wasn't. this year. He wasn't. But he still has that history. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that that often
1: weighs so much when you're talking about who to call up. I would say I would say, well, also it's one thing to say this now, right? And people are like Sheldon Dries we saw that last year and it mm-hmm. didn't work. And it's another thing when you're in mid-November and Sheldon Dries is 1.2 points per game in the American League. Yeah. Right? Because he's legitimately too good for that league and your other options, your Atu Ratus, your Vasily Podkolzin are like 0.8 Points per game. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, like, obviously you'd call up the guy picking their teeth with American League competition. Yeah, and who you're not worried about only playing eight minutes a night if it comes to that, right? I like it. So that let's let's put him alone at the top okay. in the too-good-to-keep-down tier. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Do you have a next tier? Ooh, okay, next tier. So being a, a, a
0: regular fixture on this team. I mean, I kind of think you have to go Akita Hirose. I agree. If he gets into shape, I would I would maybe even put
1: Aiden McDonough in there. I would put him in a different tier. Okay, I, because for this reason, Aiden McDonough is competing for wing spots on the Vancouver Canucks. Right, right. that's a much stiffer competition than competing for, for spots on the, blue, on the blue, line. blue
0: line. Yeah, I can see that.
1: I, I mean, it like, might just be Akita Hirose then, unless you want to throw Vasily Podkolzin like, in there, like but honestly, again, he's competing for wing spots too. Honestly, like, are we sure that the Canucks? didn't hold, like, a competition or, like, (laughs) award a prize where it's, like, a spot on the top. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine eight months ago if I told you Ohio State 21-year-old Cole McWard is – will open next season with Quinn Hughes. You would have – you would have got – like, our listeners would have gotten mad, (laughs) right? And that's not a shot at Cole McWard, like, a totally worthwhile signing, right, like a guy who's going to be – it's going to be interesting to see if he can develop, but – yeah, I mean, I think the the next, like, four names should all be defense because it's way easier to make this team mm. on the blue line. But who else? Like, so Akito Hirose, and I mean, I don't know, though. I mean, I, I can't really see, like, Philip Johansson. No, I don't I'm, know, Jet Wu. Sorry, I'm not riding for either of okay. those guys yeah, yeah, as yeah. players. So no, much no, as no, I like, understand. I at just... the end of the day, both Philip Johansson and Jet Wu are live bodies who are right-handed. And as yeah. we've seen, that's one that way to counts. make this team. <laughs> that counts for something. So, like, honestly, I think Jet Wu, I honestly would put them higher. It would go Jet Wu and then Philip Johansson in the, like, you know, the 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 hill to climb ain't that steep tier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it would be Akito Horose in the, yeah, this team needs D yeah. tier.
0: Yeah. That, all right. I can. See, I think I would have them all in the same tier because I think Horose is better than those guys. Yeah, but the path as a right I, is I just understand so that. much. I understand that. But <sighs> it's just tough. You got to gotta
1: factor in that context. It's like it's like starting a running back against the Cowboys versus starting a <laughs> running back against the Broncos. Indeed. You know what, you know like I don't need the guy to be better than the other guy to do it. All right, so Sheldon dries three defensemen
0: in some order. Yeah. Hirose Johansson and uh Jet Wu and then you get into a big big group of forwards mostly on the wings Aturatu Ratu yep. at center but other than that a lot you know Archie Baines who impressed at camp Aiden McDonough um you know Linus Carlson Aturatu,
1: Ratu, Vasily pod Colson I-, I would put I would put pod Colson in the same tier at this point frankly as McDonough and and Baines and Carlson and it would all be like one of the one you know one of these guys would have to really pop mmm but, but absolutely conceivable that it happens over the course. And then and then my next tier down, by the way, would be Nikita Tolopilo. Okay. Simply because at the end of the day, he's There's a goalie. There's an injury. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's a goalie. Like, yeah. he could be a 940 guy. Casey DeSmith could struggle for, a, you know what I mean, a month and yep. a half. Yep. I mean, don't forget, we lived in a world where Spencer Martin wasn't just starting games over Thatcher Demko, but where the market was clamoring for it. Mm-hmm. In November, like 10 months ago. You know, like things change fast in the world of in the Go world attended. between the pipes,
0: yes,
1: they the do. blue paint. So Nikita Tolapilo would simply be my yeah. Next step.
0: It's um, it's pretty wild to have to be there with Facilium Hudson in that group of players, right? But mm. I mean, we we mentioned it off the top pretty much, but based on what he did in preseason, it, it's completely appropriate to have him. Uh, in that group and I think it's a whole other conversation about how his you know his usage has been managed and all that but again based on just the results on the ice that is
1: where he finds himself now a hundred percent I mean there was nothing there yeah. there was nothing there in preseason and I'm saying this is a guy who thinks that this team should absolutely unequivocally not overthink it and simply go into the season with a fourth line that reads Joshua Bluger, Pod Colson, mm-hmm. and give Pod Colson 30 games, 10 minutes a night. Like, I think that that is the way forward, and I will, like, I really can't comprehend not approaching it that way, no matter how poorly he played, given his circumstance. Mm-hmm. But there, I can't criticize the organization for being like, this guy performed no, like, at our this point, have 16th best forward. Cause yeah. he did. Yeah. Uh, that that was hundred percent st- accurate. I, I still think you have to keep the big picture in mind though, with a player like Buck Olsen. Anyway. And then, and then I'd have Aturatu like behind, like we've now gotten to about 10 names before we get to Aturatu. And that's funny because I think Aturatu was the most impressive of all of mm. those players in the preseason. But until he plays the wing, until the club is looking at him on the wing, that's a tell, and the tell is this guy's in our long-term plans. We want to give him all of the rope in the world to be a centerman Yeah, as opposed to pigeonholing him into a place where he's more likely to help us now. Like, And Kyle texted in
0: earlier. He says, Ratu looked good. I think the best plan long-term is develop him at center, but will he get top six minutes in Abbotsford? I mean, that certainly has to be the plan. It'll be up to Jeremy Colton at a certain point, right? Yeah. But the, I think the plan is it's looked – throughout the preseason, like uh, Max Sasson and Atu Ratu slated for big, big roles down yeah. the middle well, at Abbotsford.
1: And, and with Sheldon Dries, like that Abbotsford team could be, if, if a couple of these young guys pop, th- yep. that Abbotsford team could be really interesting, and that could have meaningful ramifications for this team. Well, I was going to say, there's a
0: real, like, it's a pretty high-stakes contingent of guys going down to Abbotsford. When you think of, like, players who could have plausibly been in the Canucks plans this year, right? Like starting with Akito Hirose, Atu Ratu, Vasily Pudkholz, and Aiden McDonough. That's a
1: lot of guys who, again, you're kind of hoping that they step up and bang the door down well, at some point. This and year. I'd put Ratu in a different bucket sure. because he's had a full, full pro season, right? Like the jump from just filling the net on the power play at Northeastern, right? Or being mm-hmm. an all situations defenseman at, at, at Mankato, and then playing a premium role in the American League like that's a big step. Oh yeah. That's a big step just because those guys looked totally like looked like they belonged in the NHL down the stretch last season does not mean that these are going to be smooth landings necessarily in the American League. And and I don't say that to be like sharper or, or whatever. Uh, that's just how it is. And yet because of their age, right? These are 24-year-old guys. Like did you hear Quinn Hughes's commentary about not being yes. young? He's younger than them. He's twenty three. Yeah. He's younger than and them. He's like, I'm all grown up. And he's right. He's right. <laughs> he's he's got like two more years before assuming that he's gonna keep improving in the offseason become silly. Yeah. Like that. You know, I saw I saw like uh, that list of, I saw this tweet. You know those like famous list tweets that all age poorly where people are like, look at all the talent this mm, X mm-hmm, team has. Mm-hmm. This happens across sports. It's not unique to Canucks fans. But I saw a list like that and it listed Tanner Pearson at 26. <laughs> it's like that was four years ago. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not in a different world. Nope. It's amazing. It's amazing how cruel time is in the NHL. Uh, and also outside of the NHL. No, but it's way less cruel to us, man. Yeah, it still sucks though. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's still awful. Sucks. I still have no sense that I'm don't, old, by the don't, way. Don't. Oh man, I, it's. I, well, you're
0: like a year younger than me, so if right. my experience is anything else, like the next twelve months are going to be tough for you. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't want
1: to get into it too much because it's depressing. <laughs> I was, I was, I was out over the weekend actually, and one of uh, one of the people I was with said to me do you know we're the oldest people here by about 10 years? And I had no clue. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, these are my people. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I had no sense of it. Good for you. Uh, I'm, I'm one th- of those guys. We will take a break.
0: 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Sean Gentile from The Athletic joins us uh, talk about some, some of the things
2: happening around the league. That's next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
0: back to Canuck's Stock here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Rantz, live from the Kintex studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Sean Gentile is going to join us here momentarily and in fact sean is on the line right now from the athletic uh our guy sean Gentilly. what's going on man
3: i phased in right when you guys are yeah, done Dunbar perfect. lumber read that's my that's one of my favorites
1: <laughs> it's so hard to say but you nailed the em- emphasis well
3: done <laughs> sean i feel like
1: if for for some
0: reason you ever need to buy lumber in vancouver you're you know exactly where you're going I mean, you guys don't know what I have up my sleeve. I, <laughs> I could be in the market for some Vancouver lumber as we speak. <laughs> well, I've got just the place for you. I've got some good news, buddy. <laughs> um, so one of uh, the big news or, or biggest news around the NHL today, Trevor Zegres, uh signing a bridge deal to uh, end the little holdout there in Anaheim. Three years, 5.75 million and... You know, I I think I'm maybe a little lower on Zgris than uh, than some people mm-hmm. around the league, but I still see the specifically potential there. than me, yeah, specifically than Drads, but I still see the potential <laughs> there. And you know, even with me being a little bit lower, I still wonder whether they should have found a way to go long term with him. What do you think?
3: Man, I'm like anti bridge deal under most circumstances. I well, I I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I am. I'm, I'm you can say that about me. Deal in the sense. I'm pro deal in the sense that it normally leads to the players getting a whole lot more money down the line. <laughs> so in that sense, I'm like, I'm like, go ahead, man. Like sign it. Uh, there's just, I don't know. There's something about the season Zegris just had though. That just doesn't quite sit well with me. Like we've been going through our season preview stuff at the athletic. I'm still finishing that up. It's ruined my life over the last month or so, but his his, defensively that team was so bad and he was such a huge part of them being so bad that I can kind of see why, especially if you're Packer Beak, you know, who who we know is a noted hard ass when it comes to this stuff, I can see why you'd want to just, let's just pump the brakes a little bit and see how the next couple years of development uh, go as far as as that's concerned. Like, I I don't know if I would have done it if I were in his shoes, but, I can at least see the logic because last season, you know, point total aside, when you look under the hood, stuff was pretty ugly for, for Zegeris. Now, that's that's true for for most people on that team, but you know, he's he's the front man. He's the first line center who's you know dating a TikTok star and and, and all that stuff. So he so he's he's gonna get he's gonna get a, a little bit more attention. And I I don't think I don't think too much of it was good. The problem,
1: Sean, though, is that because he's coming off such a troubling season, his number on a long-term deal, if you Mm -hmm. believe in him at all, even if you only believe in him as, like, a guy who can be the third-best player or the fourth-best player on a contender down the line, would have been way lower now than it it will be Mm -hmm. if he figures it out
3: and matures. I mean, who's to say that Trevor Zegers doesn't know that, though, right? It takes two sides Mm. for for, for these negotiations. If you're Trevor Zegers... And you're like, I'm not, I'm in, you know, Pat Verbeek and in the Anaheim ducks offer you low ball deal X after a nightmare, you know, season last year. Aren't you going to say like, ah, no, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm not, I I, I think I'm better than that. I, I believe my ability. Uh, I'm not, I'm not accepting a low ball and I'll take five and three quarters for, for a few years and then, and then get my godfather offer. Like, down the line. Like, I, I get I get what you're saying. Like, should Verbeek have been trying to do that and lock him into, you know, a deal more in line with the player who he showed himself to be last season in spots? Like, sure. But if I'm Trevor Zegers, I don't think I'm accepting that either. I just
1: really struggle. Like, you think about that summer, the Marner summer, right? Where Marner signs and mm-hmm. everyone crushes the Leafs for doing the Marner deal, right? And mm-hmm. no one bats an eyelash. At, like, the Lion A Bridge, well, he got traded. The Kachuk Bridge, mm-hmm. how'd that work out, right? Like, all those guys who got bridged, with the exception of Braden Point, whose team made the Stanley Cup Final every year of that bridge deal, um, which is a pretty big exception. Like, unless you're ready to contend and the cap savings, like, the, the delta on those cap savings is through the roof, like, why are you doing this? Like, the Ducks aren't even going to benefit from from the fact that his cap hits lower for the next
3: three years anyway. I know, I know, but I, again, a lot of it comes back to like we know this wasn't easy set of negotiations, right? It went longer than we thought. Yeah. We're gonna be playing real games, you know, not n- not too far in the future here. So like, I just it, it takes it takes two to tango. If if you're Trevor Zegers, like you do have some leverage, you know, you can look at the way those bridge deals have have gone and worked out for the players in a lot of in a lot of instances, like like Matthew Kachuk. I mean, like, I, is it is it that crazy to think? Like, look, that deal that Matthew Kachuk signed had, I don't want to say a poison pill at the end of it, but, like, if if if, if, if you were to say that he anticipated something like that happening in Calgary, like, it, it couldn't have gone any better for him, right? Because he, he, he had a way out, he had some leverage, and now he's, you know, winning games in Florida and wearing flip-flops year-round and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, like, I, I think I think you can look at how well things have gone for the players and say, like, you know that yeah, it, it is it is okay for for these guys to eventually to eventually sign the shorter term stuff because it works out for them ultimately.
0: You know, looking at the Ducks as a whole, as you mentioned, they were just an absolute disaster oh. last year, and it feels like as much as they're not expected to contend, like you know, on this bridge deal for Zegras, it does feel like a big year for them because I like I think once mm-hmm. you start to string like consecutive years like last year together and you don't show any signs of improvement. That's the kind of environment to me that can really threaten the development of your young players that you're counting on to be good and help you contend. Like As much as they're going to be bottom feeders, or I think they're going to be bottom feeders again, it still feels like they need to show some pretty significant improvement this year for the long-term prospects, if nothing else.
3: Some of those guys need to get better, whether it's Zegers or Mason McCavish or Jamie Drysdale or whatever we end up seeing from Leo Carlson as a rookie. I mean, you can argue pretty convincingly and pretty fairly, based on the way things went last year, that everybody across the board, if, if either stagnated or regressed, maybe Troy Terry. Like maybe Troy Terry had a second straight, you know, pretty complete season. If you squint at it, but like, that's you don't want to say that it's a completely lost season for those players because who knows? Who knows whether it was or wasn't really a lot of that. Mm you know, internalized and it it depends on what the players take out of it. Like you can stink and, you know, use it to your advantage and maybe, maybe learn some stuff. So maybe that's what happened, but from a production and development standpoint, like it's hard to look at last season as anything but a total, total disaster. So yeah, this is for as young as all those guys are, for as good as, as everybody feels about the core and for as strong as, You know, a pipeline of players that they have that's still coming up, they got to show something here or else, yeah, it's going to get fuzzy real quick.
0: Uh, talking to Sean Gentile of the Athletic here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. You mentioned uh, you know you Dom and Shayna at the Athletic working through the preseason projections for every team. I think you're closing in on the top six right now. Have there been any so far as you've been going through this that you've been really surprised by where that final number has come out, and maybe you feel a little you know differently about whether whether you're more positive or or more negative than whenever the wherever the official projection came out. I think
3: if we're talking about teams that clocked in a little bit higher than I thought they would, I was surprised by Boston and I was surprised by Calgary. Um, You know, on on the Bruins end of things, you you look at their projections, they're still, you know, based on on the point projections, which are not mine. They're the athletics, they're doms, (laughs) they're a top 10 team. And it's just tough for me to look at. You know what they have going on down the middle, and the amount of question marks, where you have Pavel Zaka playing one C, and you have Car- Charlie Coyle, you know, playing in the top six after showing him showing that he, you know, kind of couldn't hack it there early in his career. It's really tough for me to look at them down the middle and think that, you know, they're an eight or nine team uh, in the in the in the league. And same same goes for Calgary. Like they're that that's a good. Five on five team, but we know that things went sideways there in, in other facets of of the game over the course of last season, where you're like, we're we really sure that we're that we want to say that this is you know the 11th or 12th. 12th best team in the league like th- those are the ones that stuck out for me where I was like okay. there's a little bit too much dip on the chip with, the- with these two
0: yeah Boston almost feels like in some ways the flip side of the Anaheim thing for me where it- it's hard to evaluate like Zegers and Terry and some of the young players there because the environment is so awful around them and in-, in Boston it's like yeah well you had Bergeron and Krejci down the middle and that just made the environment so good it's almost like you're, you're almost prone to overrate the rest of the players there because they had the benefit of playing in an incredible team environment does that make sense
3: absolutely absolutely in fluid oceans wrote a really good story uh, for the athletic it ran a few days ago he's our boston writer and he kind of went deep on you know what jim montgomery's plan is like how they're gonna at least try to account for you know these two guys uh leaving the lineup right and i'll give montgomery credit like from the jump he was like it's great he was basically like it's crazy to expect us to be as good as we were last year because we just lost the best defensive forward of all time. Which is which is true. But no, it is. It's one of those things, like something that, that always makes me nervous, you know, whether we're talking about team building or roster projections or whatever, is when you have everybody or like a positional group, you know, centers and defensemen are the are the ones to apply it to most easily too. But when you have everybody who's like who's expected to perform a little bit outside their capabilities. Right, it doesn't make them bad players, but when you're asking a two C to be a one C and a three C to be a two C, and on and on and on, there's this waterfall effect where you're where you're playing guys a little bit too high up in the lineup that honestly can have some pretty serious uh, negative effects on on a team over the course of a season. And I look at Boston, and it's it's hard it's hard not kind of apply that logic to what they got going right now.
1: Sean, zooming out, report in the New York Post today that I certainly, um, that certainly caught my, not no, wasn't today, it was this weekend, that certainly caught my attention was um, <clears throat> that the Diamond Holdings Company, which which operates Bally Sports, Bally, of course, the regional uh, sports network for uh, almost a majority of American-based NHL teams, mm-hmm. uh, may seek to cut their payments to both NHL and NBA teams by about 20%. Now... Once you get into bankruptcy court, obviously the cuts won't be like evenly distributed 20% across the board, right? That's not quite how it works, but 20% reduction potentially coming. It's our first sort of baseline estimate figure of, of what impact this could have on, on HR. And then you throw in the issues obviously with biosteel into the mix. Mm-hmm. Are you at the point, are the people you talk to at the point of getting worried about the cap growth sort of escalator that we've all been looking toward, um, maybe being somewhat less generous than we'd hope for. Well,
3: what were we talking about? Like three and a half million or four million after the season? I think that was where they, they had it placed. I I, I haven't, you know, I, not that you just the crutch, but like man, all these the season previous stuff that like dominated my time. So I haven't, you know, the the bio steel thing. I, that's something that I wanted to crack into a little bit, and I, I haven't had the time for. But man. I you know, I, here's here's the issue I think always with NHL revenues is that they're small enough for stuff like this to really, you know, cause problems. If we're talking about the NFL or the NBA, when it's like, all right, maybe maybe some uh, RS, some some regional sports networks are going belly up. Maybe an official sponsor, you know, goes goes bankrupt. Whatever. Like, there's enough contingency plans and there's enough of a diversified flow of revenue into those leagues where. You know, you don't have to necessarily, you know, sound the sound the alarm with this stuff. With the NHL, it's a smaller number, and stuff like that makes up a bigger piece of the pie, right? So when you're talking about a huge league-wide sponsor, in the vast majority of, you know, local broadcasters potentially, if not straight up going in the tank, certainly trying to reduce their payments, which is another issue entirely, by the way, it could be because it, once you you know these teams have the option to say like, ah, no, we're not taking less. We're in our in our broadcast rights are reverting back to ourselves, and we're going to figure it out on our own. So we'll see what happens there. But man, when you're talking about that happening, you know, two whatever two weeks before the season, and a week before the season, yeah, you're it's it's not it's not a great way to start, especially when you're forecasting a relatively, you know, minor uh, bump in the cap hit. Finally, you know, it, it's finally happening. It's not that much, but it still seems like yeah, it, it should watch that with a keep a watchful eye on that over over the next little bit
1: how cautious do you think teams should be then about not making deals based on the assumption in your view anyway that that the cap's just going to rise significantly in the years to come
3: i feel like we haven't really seen that honestly i feel like teams were were there was still you know i mean it goes back to boston right like everyone's Mm -hmm. saying like all right uh they'll hold your horses this season maybe you can go out and find a 1c you know whether it's fight trade or free agency you know next summer i i think that's kind of like a good example of teams like cr- showing some amount of uh of caution and, and some amount of yeah hesitancy which i think is well deserved you know over the last several months like there were no there weren't many crazy ufa contracts and I, I know the i know the player pool was Weak compared to past years, but I think, I think that's all by design. And I think, yeah, there's, you know, some understandable, uh, Skepticism over over the way this is gonna go because stuff changes. God God knows we've seen that over the last few years when it comes to the projections.
0: Well, I feel like almost the cap uncertainty is almost affecting some of the high-end players mentality more than some of the teams, right? I mean, we have the Patterson situation here, and I, I have to think a big mm-hmm. part of that is him waiting to see where the cap goes and if he can really cash in. And you know, even the Zgress one, as you mentioned, there's lots of reasons for Ziegris to go shorter term. And hey, maybe the cap by the time he's up next time has gone up significantly and he can really cash in. And as you said, like, it always takes two to tango, right? So I think the players here, or at least the high-end players, are maybe trying to keep their powder dry a little bit for uh, when the cap could be significantly higher, too.
3: Absolutely, and it's the middle class of players, too. We saw that in some in some instances. I know Vladislav Gabrikov in L.A. was a player who, you know, who the Kings were yeah. high on extending, like, for, for, you know, five, six, however many years, right? And he was the one who led the charge, or or at least made that known in negotiations where he's like, nope keeping it shorter term, two years, three years, and then and then we'll see what happens. We'll see where the cap is after that. I can't blame them for that.
1: Sean, you've done just finished doing these previews, so you probably have a pretty good sense, in fact, maybe one of the most uniquely good senses of the relative strengths and merits of the Pacific Division. Um, you know, we've been sort of talking about it and trying to explain, uh, in our view anyway, that the Pacific is no longer sort of the... Um, you know, weaker mm-hmm. step sibling <laughs> in the of the of the Western right. Conference divisions. Did that match what you found as you went through the exercise?
3: I think so. I I think um, that definitely. Uh, you know, you you said it. I I think there's been you know that sort of I don't know, what's the right word not not bias, but that kind of assumption over the last bunch of years that you know this is that you know we'll see what happens. We'll take three teams out of of the Pacific and two of them will get sacrificed in the the second round or, or, or whatever. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think now it's, there's obviously there's a, the, the, the bottom of the division is putrid Anaheim and San Jose are, you know, horrendous. But I think beyond that, you know, it's tough to find any, it's tough to find any, any clear weak spots, right? You know, the crack in, we're in the middle of other, I think, low teams in, in our projections. And they were, they were a playoff team last year. Can, Canucks are ahead of them. You know, I it's I, nobody. Here, here's what I'll say. There's no, there's Vegas at the top. And then there's no strong second place. And I think that's, you know, something that applies, uh, applies to what you guys talk about day in and day out and minute in and minute out. Like, I think there really is, you know, there, there's not a perfect team, but there's not not any super flawed team when, once you get past that bottom two. And I think it's going to be a really a really interesting, uh, really interesting group to watch.
0: Yeah, it should be. Uh, Sean, thanks for doing this as always, man. Uh, I think I, I hope we were able to distract you from uh, another stellar offensive performance by the Steelers <laughs> yesterday.
3: Oh my god! I I I can't believe you guys didn't ask about it. Fourth and one, shotgun. love it. I love to see it. (laughs) Love that. Absolutely love that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I wanted to give you a break until the end of the interview, I guess,
1: from thinking about it.
3: (laughs) I'm available if if you guys want to revisit this at some
1: point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have you on and we'll expand your portfolio just like the Steelers did last week with Matt Canada for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Love
3: it. All right. Thanks, Sean.
1: We'll talk soon, man. Yeah. Do you think it's a bad sign for an NFL offensive coordinator if, like, it becomes a running bit on Vancouver Sports Talk yes, Radio he's about really how bad. inept they are?
0: <laughs> yes, I think generally once you reach like meme territory, which I think is where Matt Canada is. Yeah, like, has he been the most? Other than Eric Bieniemy, has there been an offensive coordinator who's been talked about more no. over the last three years in the NFL? Um, like well, since he's done sorry, the job, Matt Patricia. Sure, but for that's, also, being but that's bad. proving your point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Mike McDaniel got hired, right? So he's kind of out of the conversation. Yeah, And that's I'm, pretty much it. I mean,
1: who's the Chargers guy? Uh, oh. Who came uh, from Dallas? More Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. Yeah. And then the, the yeah. Lions guy. Yeah. Johnson. Ben Johnson. Yeah. But, like, uh, it's, uh, it's a short list. Yeah. And for it's sure kind it of is. like, it's kind of like you either have to be incredibly good,
0: like Eric enemy or incredibly bad to come up a lot as a coordinator. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? You have
1: to be well outside the fat part of the bell curve.
0: Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I just, just uh, on that, on the Zegris point, the thing about, even again, as someone who's a little bit lower on Zegers, like what's the best case scenario for the bridge deal? I mean, I guess the best case scenario is he's like. It's brain point. No, 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 no. But for For this bridge deal. Oh, there's no- That's what I mean. For this specific one.
1: I mean, I think the way they have to be viewing it is we're not ready to commit to this person long term. Mm. So we want a short term deal that keeps them motivated. Because I was thinking like even the Dallas
0: Jason Robertson one. That
1: deal's a disaster.
0: The Jason Robertson one? Yeah, but at least they're good.
1: They're okay. No, no,
0: no, no. But they're like in a completely different world than the Ducks. Of course they are. Right? But Where they're, it's like they're they're they're, okay. they're expecting to win playoff series. No, but so they're a playoff team. At least you can talk yourself into it. No, you shouldn't be okay. Hey, to. I'm I'm using these cap savings to improve this team right now. That
1: contract was a disaster.
0: Like Anaheim, it it's time. like, who cares? Oh, you you you, you
1: bought an extra S- defenseman with that money for the next three years? See, let me counter who cares. Let me counter with this though. Jason Robertson, we know is a star player. Like Jason that's Robertson true. is as about as safe a bet yep. as you'll ever find to spend the next 6 years scoring 40 goals a season. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a player that exists else outside of Jason Robertson and like Leon Dreisaitl and, you know, uh, uh, Austin Petterock, yeah. But uh, yeah, Petterock yeah. like he's but he's we're talking about one of the 5 yep. or 6 best natural goal scorers in the sport. And you're bridging him for an outside shot at making the Stanley Cup. Final oh yeah, once, I'm not saying. Maybe. I'm not saying and, it's like the, it and was the best option. You had to do it because you're yeah. because of the massive inefficiency on Ben and Sagan's deals. Yeah. Like, come on, there's there, that that deal's awful. And and the but fact, at least there's like a silver lining. See, see, I think the silver lining is is even more problematic. Like, it's not like you Brit if you're bridging a guy as a contending team and it allows you to build a contender around them. Then you should be judged in part on what efficiency you're able to net. Mm-hmm. What the Dallas Stars are netting there is being able to cope with their terrible bets. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. It's to me, better, that's it's worse better than not being able to cope with them. Though. See, I I, I don't know that I agree. I, I, just, I honestly think that one is that one is preposterous because you didn't need to see anything else from the guy. Like at least with the Ducks one, I can understand. a question on the player. now, now that said. This is a mistake that happened in Vancouver. Like, the, mm-hmm. the Canucks had real questions about Pedersen, and that was a big reason why they preferred a bridge. Um, I mean, there was also the cap issue. there It was complicated, but make no mistake, like, coming off that injury and after a season that had been really tough, like, there were questions around Pedersen that, you know, did cause the club, in part, to, um, you know, prefer to go short-term and look, what, look where this club's at now as a result. Yeah. I think the thing with Zegers, again, is, like,
0: his floor for me is like a second-line center, like a low-end second-line right. center. I'm talking like bad scenario, right? Like you're you're a second-line center you don't think you can win with. That's his floor. Sure. Even if you go eight years. Now, as Sean pointed out, I think he makes a good point, right? Zigeris and his reps, they're no dummies. They understand they're coming off no, a bit but, of a tough season. But as
1: Pat Brisson explained, like Pat Brisson is his reps, right? Yeah. As, as they explained, like – the delta of getting long, they would have done a long-term deal. Yeah, but I, who knows what the number would have been? I just sure. still
0: think like the downside is probably you're overpaying your second-line center, but you're not crazy about. It. I think you can work around that. Whereas I don't know what the upside case for the Ducks doing this deal is. Like I don't know what has to happen for them to look back and be like, "Wow, thank goodness we bridged Zegras." Well, you know what I mean?
1: Th- 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 this is one of those things too, where it's like Zegras improves. Earns a bigger third contract, mm-hmm. and internally anyway, the story will be: Thank goodness we bridged him. Right, we we pushed get... him.
0: Yeah, we gave him the kick in the butt to earn that big contract.
1: It's like, ah, or maybe. or you know, in three years he kachucks it to a real hockey market. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I mean, that's the risk you run, too. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is you can
0: already wear flip-flops to the rink in uh, Anaheim, so they've, they've checked that box, which nice for pla-
1: some reason is so important. It's a nice place to play. <laughs> what? For, what do you mean, for some reason? Newport I, Beach. I don't know. Dude, if you had the ability to live anywhere on the planet, Newport Beach would end up being high on your list, just as it is for Maybe. you know a, a variety, like the biggest concentration of the world's billionaires all live there for <laughs> a reason. Yeah. Uh, there are other markets
0: I would choose over Anaheim. Let's put it that way. I mean, I, it's hard for me to put myself in that uh, in, in that spot, but I'd way rather be in New York. Way rather. It's not close. Than not living close. every day on Newport Beach. 100%. Zero doubt in my mind. Wow. That not is even a bad close. take. No, it's not. It's a great take. New York's best city in the world. Are you kidding me? Orange County over New York? Yeah. Zero chance. Dude, Zero I want, chance.
1: I want 23 degree days, every like 340 days a year. Just go inside. It's always warm inside. I don't want to be inside when I can be on the California coast oh, riding, riding a free bike down to the ice cream shop on by the pier. All right. Um We will take a break here. Uh, Rick Tockett spoke after Canucks practice at UBC. We'll play
0: that. We'll react to some of the uh, lineup tweaks. Nothing major, but a few interesting tweaks at
2: Canucks practice today. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C dot We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At Kintec.net, 650-650 is the Dumbbar Lumber text line. Uh, Canucks back on the ice out at UBC today uh, post the big cuts of yesterday. So really down to, I think there's only 26 guys left uh, on the NHL roster at this point. Um, no Pedersen, he was feeling uh, under the weather according to Rick Tockett. Ilya Mikheyev still in a non-contact jersey. So, uh, one interesting thing, just before we hear from Rick Tockett, Jack Stanica uh, jumps up to the uh, the center position uh, where Elias Pettersson is absent today.
1: Well, and obviously he's a place filler there. Yes. But it actually does subtly give you a sense of who's the first up in terms of, like, who's who's the fifth center. Mm. And we mm-hmm. know that the fifth center is going to be a guy who might be in the lineup anyway as a wing. But the fact that Stanika took that job instead of Neil Zaman... Still tells us something about the club's pecking order. Yeah, even if it's something subtle.
0: Yeah, and I think it—it's
1: it, just another
0: recognition of the performance that Jackson Dika has had in preseason and camp. And you know, we talked about in the first segment like how important the kind of internal standards are and guys meeting their fitness tests and you know just coming in in the kind of shape and with the kind of energy that the coaching staff wanted, that Rick Tocchet laid out, and Jack Stadnika is a guy who has obviously done that, and it's paid big dividends for him. And as you said, you know, hey, positioning yourself as the next center up, that counts. That's something that's going to help keep you in the NHL, keep you in the lineup uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Bovillier and Mikheyev switching off on that top line. Second line was the same with Phil DiGiuseppe, JT Miller, and Brock Besser, Dakota Joshua jumping up to play with Pugh Suter and Connor Garland while Niels Hoaglander takes Jack Stanika's place on the fourth line. So that's Bluger, Oman, and Hoaglander on the fourth line.
1: Uh, So, look, and maybe I'm biased because I think Hoaglander's a guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I think is a player. But what? do you take from the fact that Hoaglander has now been bumped off the third line? Obviously, Rick Tockett is looking for size there. Yes. Clearly. So that's my number one takeaway. But Hoaglander now would seem to be in the mix with like Amon, Stadnika mm-hmm. uh, for like the fourth line wing spots based on this decision. Now, maybe, it, maybe it ricochets and he's back with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, but what, what what did he do to lose that? race to a player in Anthony Bovillier who hasn't exactly distinguished himself. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I brought this up a little bit on Friday,
0: but again, it's, it's not that Hoaglander has been bad, but I don't know that there's been a lot of moments that pop either. So I, I, I see what you're saying with what has he done to lose it. But I also can see the coaching staff kind of looking at and saying, well, let's try something else, right? Like, let's see if we can get a little bit more juice out of the top line. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a, a defensible spot. Now, what concerns me a little bit is that you look at this and you wonder if McKayev and Pedersen are both healthy, is Hoaglander poised to be a healthy scratch, to fall right. out of the lineup, right? Is it
1: is it him or Beauvillier, but then why is Beauvillier still in that top top line spot today? Like Does Hoaglander end up being your best bait to get a right handed defenseman? That's an interesting question. Because when you think about what the options are to try to do that, I mean, what are the options
0: realistically? If you're Does not sold Pod, on him and the Pod top six, or Hoglander. I mean, how much value does podcalls have? Well, th- neither
1: of them n- neither of them would have value like they would have had if you, you know, traded them at the right moment over the last two years, which is another instructive thing I think to take away from the fact that and we haven't mentioned it yet, but Jack Rathbone cleared waivers, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we brought this up when he signed his deal, remember? Like this was something that I was mm-hmm. talking about constantly in May, June, and into the summer of twenty twenty two, which was there's a chance that Jack Rathbone is good. And there's a chance that a year from now he's just a guy, right? He's like going on, he's going through waivers. His yep. win, his window, you know, you have this short window to hit in the NHL in 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 the cruel league that is the NHL. And if you miss it, like your value's gone, right? Mm-hmm. And and for an organization, it's it's wild to think that over a ten month span, a player like Rathbone can be, go from, you know, you could include him as the third piece in a in a big trade, and a team would value him. To clearing waivers, literally no
0: value. It's really interesting, too, because if you look at some of the names that have gone through waivers, so like Ty Smith, first-round pick in 2018, clears waivers. You look at some of the guys who've gotten claimed, right? Lassie Thompson, 2019 pick. Chance yeah. 2019 pick. It's almost like, okay, 2019, guys, you're still probably getting claimed because it's still recent enough. Right. You know what you're I mean? You're still young There's enough. Still, you're still young enough. The glow is still there. But it's almost like a switch flips, right? I, and, you know, like next like, year at this time. I like
1: Fujimo, by the
0: way. Oh, sure. And there's like, I'm not surprised
1: that either of those guys got claimed no. because they are still young enough Hark- and the pedigree still counts. Harkins popped immediately because he can legitimately play center and he's got some like bite to his game and he's got some skill. Like, you know, I, I think he can be a half wall guy on a PP two. Like he's at least that level mm. of skill. Plus he's kind of mean. Like he, you know, he plays the game like a jerk. Mm-hmm. And I say that as a compliment.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, not, I
1: loved that pickup
0: for the Penguins. I'm not surprised that that Pittsburgh ended up picking him up; that he got claimed.
1: Yeah, um, I, I I just think Vancouver's clearly got to keep their powder dry for defense. But yeah, but, but my but point, he would have been an upgrade over a lot of guys who they may end up playing on the fourth My line. point is, when you look at the timeline
0: for a guy like Facilipod Colson, right? He's a 2019 draft pick, so he's not waiver eligible now, right? But he's mm-hmm. going to be next year, and that will be five years after he was drafted, and that's the time where the 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 glow really starts to come off, right? The shine starts to come off the prospects in a big way. You know,
1: we talk about this a lot, but one of my issues with really leaning on, for example, NCAA free agency to fill out the depth of your organization. And, <laughs> and I want to be clear, it's still worth doing, and it's still worth doing in volume. I, I'm not criticizing the club for going out and, you know, with Scott Young leading the way, who's had a lot of success in this area, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, making sure to get your own guys signed in McDonough, right? And then also the Hirose bet, the McWard bet, right? The Sassan bet. Like, I like placing a volume, a, high, a relatively high volume of bets in, in this neck of the woods. The problem being that, like, at the end of the day, you're not locking in guys who are necessarily as high upside. No, as, as as guys you could draft might be now they're more far more likely to be absolutely nothing, but there's at least a chance that between the ages of 17 and 21 they you know take the mangiapane leap and become something meaningful. Um, and secondly, the best depth players at the end of the day are failed first rounders. Yes, right the the. The Blake Como, the Rafi Torres, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Manny Malhotra. Manny Malhotra, yep. Manny Malhotra, who the Rangers wouldn't part with to get Pavel Bure in the <laughs> you know, in the, Manny in the late nineties in
0: his rookie year, it was like, um, we're attaching you, you're like gonna be joined at the hip of Wayne Gretzky,
1: so you can learn everything from him because yeah. you're
0: like a huge prospect for us.
1: Totally. You know what I mean? And then and then turns out just a really, really good Depth center. Yeah. And that's fine, by the way. That's awesome. Like, Manny Mahotra. Great career. Ma- great career, and also this team probably wins the Stanley Cup, if not for an unfortunate ricochet that hit his face, mm-hmm. right? I mean, um, so I'm by no means denigrating this. It's just like you go down and look at who the best depth players are in the league, and they're Nachushkin guys. <laughs> you know, they're failed yeah, first Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd
0: call Nichushkin a depth guy at this well, point. Sure. Like he's a high-end
1: Role player in some ways, he, you know he what became, I mean. He became probably a top of the lineup heavy press, but yeah. but he still fits the mold I'm talking about. Yeah, the, yeah, the guys, uh, Benoit Pouliot. I can I can go on. Derek Broussard like mm-hmm. so, and these guys end up being your third liners on like championship teams. The guys who really make a difference in terms of of leveling up what what a team can be. I've I've lost my train of thought just a little bit here. You might have to help me, but with a guy like Pod Colson. Right? What happens so often in the NHL is that an organization, like to get the the Apex third line version of Vasily Podkolzin, first a team needs to quit on him. Mm. And then another team, you know, like this this is what happens almost across the board. You think about Gustav Forsling given up on by three different franchises, Mm -hmm. you think about these guys that sort of hit later in their careers. What we rarely see is an organization. Jared McCann. Jared McCann. Well, yeah. except he's also top top lineup. Sure, guy. but you know what I mean. Like given up on, and then hundred percent becomes the
0: player he's he is now.
1: Yeah. What we what we what teams don't seem to be able to do very well internally is adjust your expectations right. on the guy who fails to be the star you hoped for. It's almost like and still get yeah, and still get like Andrew Cogliano is a great example. Right. The one the can't miss wonder kid in Edmonton fails. Now he then then he goes on to this long career as like the absolute perfect Mm. hardworking durable penalty killing ace role player in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. How one thing about player development that I think we don't think about or talk about enough is like if a team could find a way to get that the edge from their high end failures, right? To get their upside later in their careers in house yeah. as opposed to those that player having to move on and get the change of scenery they would have a huge edge over the rest the, of the league this i don't know why this is what popped into my head but when you're talking there it's like okay in baseball you go up and maybe
0: you're you're, you're trying to drive the ball right mm-hmm. you're trying to put the barrel on the ball pull it hit for power whatever but two strikes come along and guess what you got to shorten up your swing a little bit right you're trying to put it in play and it's almost like okay you draft a guy in the top 15 or whatever right and you're you're thinking home run or you're thinking double you're thinking top six fixture you know 30 goals 60 points whatever it is when that feels out of reach for a player or is out of reach based on what you you know how they've developed and their own analysis I think what you're saying is it's okay to okay well we're not gonna even try to develop him to that we're gonna we're gonna shorten our swing a little bit and try to hit a single here and get a really good third line player but it's just I think it's so hard to for teams to make that shift, you like it feels like you're giving up even doing that, and so I think teams just go all the way and they're like, "Well, we'll just give up on them instead of trying to do that." You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think I, I totally see what you're saying. It's really hard for teams to do that, make that change in expectations internally for whatever reason. I think because you've just invested so much hope in the player, especially when it's like a top ten pick, like Vasily Podkoles, And You know, you have such high hopes for that player, and then when they don't meet it. It's like, oh man, it's just it. it it's such a, it's so deflating. I think it prevents teams from, okay, well, what's next? What can we salvage him into, right? What can we mold him into from this point? But you're right. If you could do that, if you could figure out a way to do that and avoid that kind of emotional letdown, you could end up harvesting some pretty good players out of it.
1: Yeah. So, and and I kind of think that's the task now ahead for the Canucks with Pod Colson. Mm. You know, to be totally honest with you, because this is another guy who's probably got a few more years, right? Based on his size, based on his draft pedigree, I, you know, I don't think he's like gonna be out of chances by any he's means. He's not gonna be out of chances in the NHL, no. To like crack rosters. And and he probably has like two or three years. Yeah. He probably has till he's twenty-four, twenty-five. Right? Big bodied forward draft in the top ten. A if lot you, of okay. a lot of teams are gonna give up. Just that a like
0: look. thinking about this generically, not even from Pod Colson's perspective, but like player like who fits his mold, top ten pick with his size and pedigree. I would say, like, let's say the Canucks try, decide to move on going into training camp next year. He's got a chance with a new team, and then he has a chance with one other team after that. Probably, yes, that's For right. sure. That's you right. know what I mean? Like, he's got at least those two chances with other
1: organizations left. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then, you know, at some point the question becomes not can he be the player that the Canucks drafted or hoped for when they drafted him. It's can he be Curtis Lazar, mm, mm-hmm. right, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Can he be Jason Dickinson? You know, not to bring up two of two of Canucks fans' favorite solutions to the penalty <laughs> kill. But yeah, I mean for me anyway, that should be sort of what you're hoping to get out of Pod Colson at this point, or at least there's a there's an enhanced risk based on what he's shown coming into camp this season, that you know, our expectation should go to can the Canucks at least develop like a good bottom six guy? Yeah. Out of Pod
0: Coles. Well, it's going to be fascinating, too, to see how and he's... And Oglander. by the way, if he's, yeah, if he's if moved, if, you know? With Pod Coles and it's going to be fascinating to see how he's used in Abbotsford. And I think it's going to be really interesting for all of us to kind of weigh like what we make of his production and his performance in Abbotsford as well, right? Because well, he- there's certain things you expect for... 10th overall pick at, at his age in the AHL. But there's
1: another thing you expect for, you know, guy you're hoping can be a fixture in your bottom six at this age yeah, in I the mean, AHL. He should be the best player on the Abbotsford Canucks. Anything short of that is concerning. I don't think he's going to be, though. Like if Sheldon Dries is down there. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, like if Aiden McDonough is materially better than him down in Abbotsford, I think that's a very, very bad sign. And that's also where you're putting yourself at risk of further devaluing an asset that, at least today, teams would still be willing to gamble on. Mm. Right? Like, There's some teams that would still like to hold that lottery ticket. If you think there's a chance that you get to January and he's not even on your top line in Abbotsford, then you might want to sell low. Truly. I, I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, okay, so last
0: year he had... Eighteen points in twenty-eight games down there. Now you can say, well, his confidence was low, but like his confidence is going to be low going down there this time yeah. too, right? And I think there's guys. Well, he was guys. twenty-one last year. Yeah,
1: yeah. So like, that's a that's a pretty low scoring clip. Yeah. I mean, you 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 if you extrapolated over say fifty-six games, which is closer to a full season, that's less than forty points. Um, you know, the the guys like Ty Cartier, mm-hmm. for example, who was like a CHL undrafted free agent. You know, he had 57 points in like 70 games with the mm-hmm. Coachella Thunderbirds. Like, that's the sort of production profile where it's like, hey, that guy might be a bottom six winger at 21. Mm hmm. You know, but I look at it, and you know, like Linus Carlson, twenty two,
0: had had uh, forty nine points in seventy in seventy two games. Like Tristan Nielsen, forty one points in sixty four games. Arsteep Baines, thirty eight and sixty six. Like it wouldn't shock me if any of those guys are more productive than Vasily Podkolzin at the AHL level this year, right? Yeah. Like I, I'm not saying he can't be the best player on the team, but if you just look at his sample size in Abbotsford and some of the other players who you would figure would have significant roles for Abbotsford. I, I would I would bet against it. I would bet against him being the best forward on the team. Like Atu Ratu could have a breakout year, point production wise for for Abbotsford. So I think like that's a tough
1: that's a tough order or tall order for Pod Colson
0: going down to the to the Abby Canucks this year.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully he plays with like Drys and Ratu, and you've got like a pretty nasty first line. You know. Yeah. I mean, That'd be great. So look, I'm not out on Pod Colson. I still like and believe in the player. I I still think uh, moderate. Consistent NHL reps are the best course forward for him. And if the Canucks can't afford to give him that, then, you know, honestly, I still think that's what he needs. Mm. And and I'll be curious to see if the Canucks consider this to, you know, not, not Pod Colson specifically, but just like there is this glut of wingers and there are teams facing tough decisions. And some guys like Pod Colson have already cleared, you know, I, I, I'll be curious to see how this evolves as the Canucks look to, bring in a defensive body, which surely they need. Well, and the thing is... How concerned are you, about, by the way, about the fact that, like, once again, a week out from the season, or nine days out from the start of the season, and the Canucks who come into camp looking one way on paper... Look a different way? (laughs) Already it's like, wait, why didn't you guys bring in another righty if you really needed another righty? Mm -hmm. Like, why... Why were there, like, four reasonable competitors for a third pair left D spot and not one for the third pair right D or first pair right D spot, given your coach's preferences? That's the confusing thing to me. Like, why why are, why are do we live in a world where, once again, you know, it's like, we were talking before the show, like, what are the big roster battles that remain? Top pair right D. Yeah. And, like... Which, and by not- the way, is not a common... No. roster battle no and it's not i wouldn't
0: call it a roster battle but like a lineup battle is third guy on the top line right that's like that's the most
1: influx lineup spot at forward but we only think that the that, that that's an interesting battle because the second line left wing spot is fixed by mm. phil di giuseppe mm-hmm. who, who by the way i'm here for phil di giuseppe 37 point second liner like i could absolutely see that i'm a fan of his game i think he's a useful player who has actually, over the course of his Canucks career, been given far too short shrift by the organization. Yeah. At the end of the day, though... Until Rick talking came in. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, though, like I like Phil DiGiuseppe more than most, and I like him as a bottom six forward. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe maybe a third liner. Like The fact that we've gotten to this point in training camp, we're going into the last week of the preseason, and we're talking about McWard on the top pair, DiGiuseppe in the top six, and... You know, Beauvillier backing into a spot on the top line in McKeef's absence. I, I mean, I think that poses some tough questions about how this roster has been built to this point. The no? one that really is that con-
0: unfair? No, I don't think it is unfair. The one that really concerns me is it's not so much that McWard is in line to start with Quinn Hughes. I could buy into that if it was okay. We have to make this decision, but it lets us align the rest of the blue line in a way we really, really like. You know what Mm. I mean? So, okay, hey, it's not ideal. We'll put McWard with Hughes because we know what Hughes can do, but then we feel really good about our other two pairs. I think what you're seeing, though, right now is that the other two pairs are still very much in flux. Like, it's not like this is the skeleton key, which unlocks the best version of your blue no. line so far. They're still trying to figure out what that is. And look, hey, it's preseason. There's two more preseason games. I get that. But it felt like we had something with Ian Cole and Philipronick. Like, okay, hey, that's there. Now you know Susie moves up to play with Philipronick. Hey, get get guys different looks. That's fine. But when I look at it, I'm thinking and watching that game on Saturday, they win 5-2, that's great. But I'm still thinking like you need to find some defensive pairings that you feel really good about and that work together and you have confidence that they work so together. So talk
1: it address this a, in part at practice today. So in the last segment, let's uh, let's listen to that audio mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then we can react to it because he wants more of a committee approach. Like he wants more fluid defense pairings. I think this is partly by design. Um, so let's, 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 let's listen to that on the other hand and then we are uh, on the other side and then we can react to it because you know, it, it is interesting, especially given how different it is from what we're used to in terms of teams having finding pairs that are complementary that have chemistry. Yeah. Right. And, and really sort of riding with as much consistency as they can in terms of finding defense pairs that can help them control a game. Uh, Just last
0: thought, we will go to break here in a second and and listen to talk it on the other side. Last thought on pod Coles. And this text comes in is pod Coles in a bust or is it really just time he needs? Uh, Wasn't that long ago where 21 to break into the league was still rare. Maybe we need, To be patient, I think the thing is, it's fine to look at a player, even one who is drafted really high, and think, okay, they need time to develop – it's the pro- the problem is you'd wish that development time didn't feel like it was starting now. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the thing with Pod Colson. And you made the point last week when we were talking to Donnie and Dolly, it, it hasn't just been under the Canucks. It was also when he was playing in Russia, he didn't get that consistent development time. Now in North America, he hasn't really got that consistent development plan. And it's one thing to need, you know, three or four years after your draft year to really develop. It just feels like those three and four years – haven't amounted to much development
1: for Vasily Pod Colson. Like it feels
0: like the clock is starting now. He might say rather he's than gone, when he was drafted. You might say he's gone
1: backwards. I mean I, I I honestly like I've been a big Pod Colson fan in terms of I'm not a fan of anybody, but like in terms of no, admiring I, his game and attributes. And and this is the worst I've ever seen him look. Like it just is. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. If if you were seeing the
0: trajectory go one way, you think, okay, hey, we can be patient. We can wait a little bit to see where this is going. But as you said, when it's stagnant, kind of at the that's a lot harder. Or yeah.
1: worse. Like, I'd say it's worse. Uh,
0: 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We will hear from Rick Talkett on the other side. Final
2: segment coming up here on Canucks Stock Sportsnet, 650.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or our in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, as mentioned, the Canucks were out at UBC practicing Today, as they have almost their final uh, opening night roster ready here, just a, a handful, a mere handful of cuts left to be made, and we'll see how that develops. But uh, some interesting comments from Rick Tockett after practice. We were talking about the blue line and its construction in the previous segment. That's something that Tockett talked about. Lots of other stuff in here as well. So here is the head coach of the Canucks, Rick Tockett.
2: Yeah, it was It's nothing major. A little under the weather, just a little, little bit of a cold and, um, you know, you know just a small little thing that i felt that you should go home get in bed or just relax at home so uh, nothing serious he'll be i'm sure he'll be there to practice tomorrow
0: you've talked about liking the
1: intensity and the pace of some of the practices lately was that
2: same again today yeah the, i thought the last four or five practices have probably been our best um you know opening up the playbook a little bit so you know sometimes you're gonna have some wrong reads and stuff so th- we're okay with that but i, I still believe that playing five on five in practice right now we need a lot more of that um and not be so robotic you know sometimes you want a strong side play and that's all we do so we gotta that's the next thing for us is don't be so robotic
0: how long should it take nhl players for things like that to become natural when you're teaching new systems and implementing new things
2: well we got five or six new guys right so um everybody's come from different systems and different thought processes but you know, Teddy and Kohler and she—they're—they're they're smart guys, so they can—they can adapt really quick. And then uh, obviously the guys that were here last year kind of know what we want to do. Where, where is your thinking with Ian Cole and Herona? Could look pretty good when they played together, but you've got time here, now you've got Cole and Myers and Susie's moved up. Are you just still part of the experimentation? Or? Yeah, I think we're a committee, um, and I want them to be used to it. You know, um, I thought thought Kohler and uh, and uh, it was more cold. I thought he—it wasn't so struggle. I didn't like really his first a little bit, and it's, I said to Footy, "It's up to you." But Footy wanted to make the change, and I think it settles things down. I don't think that's an issue with our team. I think it's okay to have a committee. I don't think we're going to have true partners the whole year, so might as well get used to playing with different guys. That was our thought process. If you're one, two,
1: and three are Hughes,
0: Heronic, and Cold, do you them on three different pairings so that you have that.
2: Say again. Sorry. If, if you're top yeah. three guys, let, let's say Cole is your third best defenseman. Do you want your first three guys on different pairings so that each pairing
1: has someone that you know he feels really reliable and can with
2: that pairing? Yeah, that's a pretty good theory. But also, too, you know, you know, going to get his minutes. Heronix's a guy that can get a lot of minutes, and I think the other guys are guys that uh, sporadically can play heavy minutes, but also have other guys that can fill in. So that's why. It, we're built as a committee, and I like that. You know, it's a, I don't think it's a true. Hey, we got you know some some teams are built up where they got you know three three guys that play twenty plus. I, I like ours where we spread it out. Obviously, Huggy's going to get his time, and, and Herona. Are so we looking for a guy to pair with uh, Queen Hughes? Who, who do I compare him to? You no, know, who would you pair him with? Uh, as far as uh, a yeah, different uh, committee, yeah. well, you know, we're trying to uh, McWard. Um, might be some other guys right now. So. Any
3: specific skill set that
2: you look looking for? Well, it's just, I mean, just like all our defense, defend the puck well, can pass the puck. Uh, you know, also, also participate in the offensive zone, too. So um, I feel like all our D have those attributes. It's just a matter of this committee thing. I know a lot of you guys want this who's the guy. <laughs> right now, we don't have that guy in the set per se. To me, we do have the guys. We have a bunch of guys that can do it. That's the way I look at it, just like a. Like in baseball, yeah, you have a lot of relievers that are great relievers. That's the way I look at it.
3: You had Susie on the right side with Quinn and Victoria during the scrimmage, But at the end of the day, Rick, is it a lefty-righty preference for you?
1: parents?
2: Well, I think in, in game, I think, me personally, I don't think you can have a lefty-lefty look and, and still be successful. But uh, I think with Husey, especially when he gets the puck he gets slinged over, I think that's when he's at his best. I'm not saying that it can't work the other way either. Um, and there will be times where we will have lefty with Huggy, for sure. Should
3: we be shocked on opening night if,
2: if Mike Lillard is in starting on? Well, it's part of the process. I don't know yet. Uh, he's still going to play, you know, whether he plays the next game. He's going to play a game here coming up. Uh, Want to see a little bit more. And, uh, and, you know, one thing, you can't be scared to do things. I'm not as scared to do things, so. Yeah. yeah. Just
0: yesterday when I asked you about Akita Hiroshi and you talked about fitness levels or fitness
2: there was sort of a little bit of ambiguity there can you just clarify like did did the organization just want him to bulk up a little bit more no i I think it's more nhl like an nhl fitness Um, i don't think he's quite there yet but his brain is there so i think going down in the in abbotsford playing heavy minutes running running things pk running power plays uh, being out there a lot is better for him than being the 7th, 8th, or maybe the 6th defenseman here. Um, I think it's better. Um, will he see some NHL games there? Probably could. You, know, you guys saw that last year, and he did a nice job. But his brain is elite. Like He's got a great brain, which I love. What's he's showing here so far, Rick? Versatility? What's he's shown Uh Versatility, for sure. Uh, great locker room guy. Low maintenance. Um, well-liked. As much as on the ice, is off the ice for me. He's really added a lot in that dressing room.
0: That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media uh, with some really interesting thoughts about the defense in particular after they practiced out at UBC and uh, on Nikita Hirose towards the end. His brain is elite. He's got a great brain. That's a very nice thing to say about somebody. it has got a great brain.
1: Usually an insult. What? <laughs> yeah, like, you're you're the brains of the operation, oh, huh, bud? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, in Pulp Fiction, check out
0: the big brain on Brad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but not in this case. Very nice. No. But, okay, so we wanted to hear his extended thoughts about, you know, what we were talking about. The construction of the blue line, trying to find that chemistry, trying to find that pairings. And what Rick Tockett is telling us, and I guess what he's been telling his players what he's been showing us, is... Like, we kind of have to throw that paradigm out here a little bit, right? Like, he even said it. I know you guys want to know who the pairings are and who's going to be the guy with Hughes, but we've got lots of guys. It's going to be by committee. He even said, we're not going to have true partners this whole year. Paraphrasing slightly, but that's basically what he said in the course of that availability. And that is a fascinating lens to view things here. And I'll say my kind of instant reaction is I feel slightly about the same way about this that I do about... Uh, Rick Tockett switching up the power play and trying to really introduce, you know, so much fluidity and movement and, you know, a less static, less predictable attack on the power play. I can absolutely buy like we see this all the time, right? There's a certain there's in sports, there's a way teams do things and you just kind of do it because that's the way everyone does it and it's easy and it's, you know, you don't you're not taking any risks by by keeping it that way. But then sometimes things change and you find a new strategy that really works. And I'm always here for experimentation and rethinking things and kind of going back to the drawing board and, okay, are there different ways we can do this? It just makes me a little nervous when, like, as Jim Rutherford said, this is a team that probably needs, if not everything, an awful lot of things to go right. And it feels like you're throwing a bit of a wild card into that process, taking this approach to the blue line.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, there are – there are – Benefits to consistency on the back end. Mm-hmm. And obviously there are benefits to flexibility, particularly in the regular season when you encounter injuries and, mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. manner of, um, you know, sort of the the, the slings and arrows of, uh, of the hockey gods effectively in being able to eke out wins nonetheless. You know, if you look around the league, there aren't a lot necessarily of teams that have three pairs that are able to play a ton but here's a here's a fun stat that I was just double checking only two teams in the entire NHL mm-hmm. had three defense pairs that were set to the point where they played at least 600 minutes together mm-hmm. all three defense pairs played 600 minutes or or more last season they were your Stanley Cup finalists Florida Panthers and Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> Uh huh. So there's some value there. Mm-hmm. The Carolina Hurricanes, by the way, only team with two pairs that played a thousand minutes or more. They made these during conference final. Now I would be interested in seeing
0: the numbers. I could be imagining this, but I feel like Tampa did a little bit more moving guys around. They did than average, right? Like finding you know moving guys up to play with headmen, switching things around well, in that regard, the, right? Because
1: Tampa's always done that. So Tampa, yeah. Tampa, when they were winning back to back cups. They were built not on pairs. They were built on having three guys on the left mm-hmm, side mm-hmm. right, that soaked up all your minutes. So at any given moment, one of Sergishev, McDonough, or Hedman, Hedman were on the ice. And then Cernak and then like some combination of Shen, Shen Bogosian, Bogosian yeah. and company would kind of filter through those other pairs. And then when you got late in the game and they were holding, trying to hold the lead, um, McDonough, Sergishev became the second pair. Or McDonough Hedman started playing together, um, and then and then you'd have Circus Sergis, Circushev uh, Sernak, and they'd sort of shorten the bench, and then it was four guys kind of doing the business. And sometimes it would be Circushev Hedman if they were chasing the lead, right? Mm-hmm. So they they would recalibrate their pairs based on that. L- last year they didn't have McDonough. And things changed a little bit, so you saw like Perbix play a ton with everybody. You saw Cole play a, a fair bit with a bunch of different guys. Cernak, Hedman was a thing for, for a run of games. Uh, certainly they tried Cal Foot in a bunch of spots, and, and it didn't really work out. So, you know, Tampa's an interesting one because they approach so many different things oddly, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they here, here's the other thing they always do. They always load up with seven defensemen. They give themselves an additional defenseman, and then they... Double shift, guys like Kucherov yeah. and point. Stamkos and point through you know a fourth line that when they were back to back Cup champions included like Verhage and Maroon, which is pretty good, right? Like that's that's incredible. So you know flexibility is built into the Lightning DNA, and Cooper was a was a genius at ma- at managing that. Um, you know we'll see, like we'll see how it works for Talkit with this team and this collection of talent, because I don't think you have the same, certainly you don't have the same, like, yeah, okay. Hughes, Cole, Susie down the left side is a lot sturdier than anything this team's had in a few years, mm-hmm. but pretty big gulf between Hedman, McDonough, and Sergishev to that. Yes, and I think my concern
0: with the, the going with this setup, I, I would feel a lot better about it if you looked at it and you felt like, okay, yeah, there are like five combinations From the In this defense group that I feel really good about, or that at least I like, I like, you know what I mean? And then, hey, as it is, you know, hey, we're chasing the game. Okay, we're going to put Hughes and Hronick together. We're, uh, we're defending the lead. All right, let's get Cole and Susie on a pairing together or whatever the case is, or Cole and Hughes uh, and let them help us shut the game down. But what it feels like, it doesn't feel so much like, hey, we have all these really good options, and so we're going to go to them throughout, you know, as the game situation demands. It feels a little more like we're not really sure what our best options are, right? So we're going to keep cycling through them. Like, for me, this committee approach, for it to work best, you would want to have at least one or two pairings that you feel really, really good about. So, hey, we're going to be flexible. We're going to go to a bunch of different looks. But we always know we have pairing X to fall back onto, right? You know, we always know we have, hey, we can go to this configuration and it's going to be fine. It's going to stabilize us. I don't see that yet here, right? And yep. I think that's the concern for me. Is it flexibility because you have all these different interesting options or is it a committee approach because you're not sure what your best configuration looks like yet?
1: Yeah, and, you know, we haven't seen, like, Adam Foot. We've ne- Adam Foot doesn't have a big track record running yep. a defense, so... It's a little bit hard for me to ascribe what to expect, right? I can't look back and look at tendencies, mm. but the Canucks were, and the Canucks were so dinged up down the stretch on the back end that obviously the pairs were in constant flux in Foot's thirty-six games. Now, yep. what I can tell you is, Talkit during his time in Arizona did have rel- like did have pretty set pairs for the most part. I mean, obviously some years you'd have injuries, that sort of uh, life. That's life when That's you have... Yeah. Well, especially when you have uh, Jacob Chikorin. So, but you know, like, his first year in Arizona, Ekman, Larson, Jason Demers was a constant, mm-hmm. right? And then Goligosky, Chikorin, when Chikorin was healthy, was a constant. And when and w- when Yalmerson went out, right? It was, but, like, Goligoski, Chikorin, Yalmerson, and then Yalmerson and Chikorin battled injuries. But, like, those three in some combination... Were, were a pair. And then Connaught and Shen was like a very heavily used third pair. Guys with Canucks ties for some reason. Um, you know, you, you go through and then Ekman Larson and Yalmerson became a thing. Like he, you know, for the most part, he had pretty set pairs in his last year in Arizona, like wildly set pairs with, um, you know, Chicker and Goligoski, Ekman Larson, Labushkin. Like very, very sturdy. Mm-hmm. Gostas Bear, um, Dyson Mayo, who cleared waivers, by the way, I wondered because of how much Rick Tockett played Dyson Mayo in that one season that he coached him. If that was like an interesting one for the Canucks, right-handed D pretty quick has played yep. big minutes before. Um, obviously they didn't do it. Obviously that wasn't a consideration for the club, but um, I, I sort of wondered yesterday when I saw Duncan BC's Dyson Mayo hit waivers, if that might be uh, one that the Canucks would look at anyway. Philosophically anyway, this might, this seems to be more a response to circumstance than something that Rick Tocket like really believes in as a global approach, because there's no evidence in, in his previous track record as a head coach of like mixing and matching D pairs more than average.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It feels a little bit more based on the circumstances available and based on not having hit on three pairings, at least to start the season, that you feel really good about and that you want to have out there in a bunch of different
1: situations, right? Like, I think if... How about that Stanley Cup final stat, though? No, that's wild. That's, uh,
0: <laughs> that's very striking. I started
1: looking at it. I was just like, oh, my goodness. There's no one else other than Vegas who had such consistent pairs. Incredibly consistent, And then yeah. I come across Florida. Yeah. And it's like, that's oh, so my funny. God. Mind-blowing, right? It really is. And, well, it and, makes and, sense. And you think about the identity of that Golden Knights team. And how tied up it was in the engine that is their defense core, mm-hmm. right? And like off the top of your head, how I mean, whether you watch ten Golden Knights games or a hundred, Martinez Pietrangelo, right? Hag White Cloud, like you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it. McNabb Theodore, it, unbelievable. Yeah, and I mean, look, like chemistry is a real thing. It's it's a real thing for the forward groupings. It's a real thing for defense pairings. for sure, right? And M- maybe more with defense pairings because mm. of the amount of trust, like. You need to have such a good understanding of, like, this guy needs help now. This guy's got this now. This guy's lost this battle. I can go here, and he'll yeah. regroup to the net for me. Like, you have to you have to be on the same page if you're going to do what you wanted an NHL blue line to do, which is help you control the game. Yeah. I think the other
0: concern for me is, okay, you have Cole McWard potentially go- going to skate with Quinn Hughes, and part of the theory there is, even though it's the top defense pair— Quinn Hughes's partner is almost by definition sheltered in some ways because he's going to do so much of the heavy lifting on the ice, right? So you feel like you can kind of get away with a, a less high-end player in that spot. But if you're mixing and matching and you're moving guys all around the ice, like, where's the other landing spot for McWard? And I guess the answer is, well, he's just not going to play that much, right? And you'll see, you know, Hughes double shift a little bit. You'll find some other minutes for some other guys. But, again, that feels more less like something you're – wanting to do and more like a response to being left with cole mcward on your top pair right and you're like well we're it's not so much that we're going to be flexible for the sake of being flexible like we're almost being flexible to shelter this guy who's on our top pairing right now i will say one thing that i like about this approach is i would think it means we're going to see some hughes and chronic minutes at some point right like Mm -hmm. if you're if you're Talking a big game about, you know, doing it by committee and being flexible and trying all these different looks. At a certain point, you got to put your top two guys together and see what they can do out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely you do. And, I mean, we saw it a little bit. We saw it here and there in the preseason game on Saturday, which Mm -hmm. is the first time that they've played together. I don't think we saw it a ton. But, it you know, watching on TV anyway from home, it looked – because I – really did take the weekend off. <laughs> it was lovely. Yes. Um but you know, it looked like they had a they had a couple of shifts together. Um yeah, okay. So they played 248. Hughes and Heronick played 248 together uh with one defensive zone start and none in the offensive zone probably because they're intent on kind of protecting McWard as much as possible, right? And you know, that matches what we saw in McWard's first game. As well, like Mm -hmm. in in Edmonton, where the Canucks similarly offered him at least a little bit of protection. Every now and then, McWard's not going to get the hard assignment of starting in the defensive zone. Yeah. Um, And in this case, with Rick Tockett having second, like for, you know, the home ice advantage, uh, you know, it was a more deliberate decision. Whereas when you do it in Edmonton, it's just like, I don't want you to see McDavid, you know, like you're kind of just like, you're kind of just hoping as opposed to, you're hoping that McDavid's not out there, but you have to. Be aware of the possibility. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll see. I, 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 think we'll see a lot of Hughes Heronic over, like over the course of the season. I would bet the over on like two hundred Hughes and Heronic minutes at five on five.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Which is like a
1: pretty healthy number. And I do want to reiterate, like
0: I'm here for trying things out. I have no, like, I think probably coaches across sports should be more willing to experiment and try different things. Like, I, I as much as I'm listing some of the things that make me nervous about this, I have an appreciation for a coaching staff that's willing to to try different things and think outside the box. I think it's the fact that this season feels so high stakes for the Canucks, that's what makes me nervous, right? Is it feels like you're adding even more uncertainty into the mix as even more than usually and always exists well,
1: for this team. And and let's be real, I mean, when we talk about the Pacific Division Gauntlet, right? Whether you're whether you like the flames chances of a bounce back or not, Hannafin... Anderson is mm-hmm. fixed. Mm-hmm. We know they're going to play a thousand minutes together, provided that they're healthy. Weeger yep. and Tanev is relatively fixed. We know they're going to play a thousand minutes together if they're healthy. Um, go down to Los Angeles and, and Mike Anderson and Drew Doughty, that's fixed. They're going to play a thousand minutes together, right? Uh, I think we can feel pretty confident that Gavrikov and Matt um, Waugh, mm-hmm. who were fixed together after the Gavrikov acquisition – are going to play a 1000 minutes. I already t- did the Vegas the thing. Vegas we know one, literally yeah. who they're rolling out on each and every defense pair and then you come to you know um Edmonton and like Ecom Bouchard. We know that that's going to be a thing, right? And then probably nurse CC again. I, I mean, I guess Edmonton's second pair will see cuz they've made some changes. Um but you know, every other team around the Canucks. Oh, and then Don Larson. Yeah. Dunn-Larsen, we know, and and borgen Alexia, we know. So you're looking at a world where all of Vancouver's competitors are basically set in terms of what their top fours are going to look like. And in that, like within that vein, the Canucks trying a committee approach yeah. does feel like a risk to me. Does feel like something that could set the Canucks apart in, in a negative way Yeah, versus their Pacific Yeah, I think there's increased volatility, right? Because it, just fundamentally, because you don't mm-hmm. know who's going to be taking line
0: rushes with, with each other right before every game.
1: Not to mention, did you see that stretch? Um, Shorthouse identified it during the broadcast, but there was that stretch when the Canucks had McWard come out of the box after one of his three minor penalties, and then they played a defenseman short mm. for, for 30, 45 seconds. Yeah, uh, probably not 45 seconds, but 20 to 30 seconds. So, you know, things get scrambled, too, and become harder to keep track of, particularly when you've got, you know, a, a relatively inexperienced, albeit, um, you know, super qualified assistant coach like Foot managing the D. And I do still wonder, like, if let's say, hypothetically, if Luke Shen was still on this team, I'm not saying they should have kept
0: him, I think it was the right move to trade him. But if Luke Shen was still on this team, I don't know that we're having this conversation, right? Because no. he's stapled with Quinn Hughes. Huh. And if they... If if they add a right shot defenseman similar in that mold right before the beginning of the season, I wonder if this conversation goes away as well. Right? I think,
1: and I and I'm telling you now, my guess based on what Tockett's done in the past, unless this, you know, and he said he did it in consultation with Foot, so it might be uh, um, a philosophy from Adam Foot, mm. which is interesting in and of itself, and and maybe a way that he differed from Phil Housley, who who ran the D with Tockett right. in Arizona, but certainly Tockett's teams have not typically. Done a committee approach on on defense and that makes this highly like far more likely that it's a situational reaction it makes it fascinating to a too it's one. going to
0: be really interesting to watch uh talk loves his uh high pedigree defenseman assistant coaches huh phil housley adam foot sergey gonchar a lot of really high high quality minutes in the nhl between all of those guys yeah, I mean, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> i was just, I was just striking. It's like, oh yeah, Phil Housley, he was wicked good when he, <laughs> when he played. Uh, all right, that's gonna do it for us today. We will be back tomorrow. Oh, by the way, 11 a.m. tomorrow because uh, somehow the Blue Jays backed into the playoffs, so uh, they're on at one. How do, we, how do we do this,
1: by the way? <laughs> how like remember last year when we were so excited and then the game, the series was basically over yeah, was before awful. we even got to the bar to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, that was great. And now this year, like I'm out on this team. And yet, here they are, and I'm going to watch. It's like the least. How excited am I allowed to get about a team I don't like making the playoffs? It's the least excited
0: I've ever been to watch one of my teams in the playoffs. Like, it feels more like an obligation and a chore. Totally. You know what I Which mean? It's the like, whole Ugh. season. The whole season's felt that way. Yeah. Anyways, we will be on 11 to
3: 1 tomorrow so to that make way you for can tune into the Blue Jays yeah. game on 650. <laughs> don't
0: miss it. That's right.